Welcome to another episode of the Ultimate Deck Podcast. I'm Shane Chapman back here on episode 13. I lost track because we've actually got a few of these in the docket already. So if you haven't listened to previous episodes, please go find those, have a listen, let us know what you think, provide some feedback. One of the best formats we've been getting on our podcast here is the interview style. And we've been saving this one for a while. We have a very special guest today on the podcast that we're super excited about. He's a legend in the industry. He spent a lot of years in the industry building beautiful projects that everybody is aware of. I'm sure if you're on Instagram or if you're on, if you're living and breathing on the internet, you've seen this man's work at some point, you've probably been been inspired by it. He spent a lot of years working for a deck builder, had his own company, and is now doing a lot of consulting and whatnot. None other than Bobby Parks. Bobby, welcome to the show today. Thank you for joining us. Hey, thank you, Shane, for having me on today. Perfect. So I know that there's a lot of people excited to hear from you. So I I trust that this is going to go super smoothly and you don't worry about what you say because people are going to eat it up no matter what. So (laughs) so (laughs) first of all, why don't you tell us a little bit about Bobby Parks, the man, who you are, your family life. Tell us a little bit about the man behind the hair. Well, first of all, thank you for all the kind words. You're probably overselling me here, but I'm just a simple guy who's really tried to carve out a uh, a living in the uh, construction and remodeling and building industry and uh, just come from a smaller town in Columbus, Georgia, it's located kind of on the Alabama-Georgia border, if you, if you were ever to look at a map towards central Georgia. Uh, just had a simple upbringing, played Little League, did all the things that most kids would have done during my time and era. Uh, it's pr- pretty simple, really. And now you call North Carolina home, is that correct? Yeah, I've moved to Winston-Salem. I sold my business that I had in Atlanta in 2014, stayed around for a better part of a year, year and a half, and then uh, moved here to Winston-Salem, North Carolina, kind of to get away from all the hustle and bustle of Atlanta and just kind of try something different. So we're going to go back a few, maybe even decades here, Bobby, and find out kind of how you got into this industry in the first place. At what point in your life did you decide that the trades was something you want to explore? Well, I would just say as a kid, I was a neighborhood fort and treehouse builder. I was always like building things, you know, just creating things in school. I liked uh, the wood shop and mechanical drawings and some of the things that I was doing there. So when I got out of high school, I really went, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I went straight to work with a residential home builder. Uh, Everything about home building just kind of clicked and made sense for me. And I quickly realized that I wouldn't be able to to make the kind of living or reach the the goals that I might want to reach by just working for someone hourly. So it kind of drove me to get out on my own. So by the time I was 24, I was a a framing subcontractor uh, in Columbus and then started uh, taking on other jobs in the Southeast, up into South Carolina, uh, all over Georgia uh, and Tennessee. So uh, uh, just kind of, just kind of delved right into it really. So you started out working for home builder at what point or where did you make the decision to kind of start focusing on decks or did you were you always kind of doing more than just decking projects yeah i mean the the truth is if outside of an occurrence that happened after i had been on this one apartment job that had been on for two months normally we would do monthly draws and in this particular case for some reason i just decided i'd skip the first month's draw and take the second one and when it came time to get that uh, check the company was having financial problems was unable to pay so i just decided i got to find something to do temporarily that will just keep me busy and to keep me and one person busy instead of me and 12 others and so i answered an ad where someone was starting an architect franchise in atlanta and uh, so they hired me. I started right out as uh, the first crew and then came in a couple of years later as construction manager. And then over time just became the, the VP and, and really ran the company for, for quite a while. 
So it was a good experience for me. It taught me more of the basics of business that was beyond what I would have known as a subcontractor. It taught me the importance of marketing, things like that. Is that Architect? Is that when you started your career with Architect? Yeah, that was Architect. So Architect really taught me the basics of business. It was a good learning experience for me. But then I decided I wanted to do this on my own and I wanted to to do it in a different way. So I kind of had a different building philosophy and a different approach that I wanted to implement and, and just do it on my own instead of running, you know, 16 or 18 guys in the field. And we were doing, you know, roughly two and a half million dollars worth of business back in, you know, the mid 2000s when I left there. So it was wow. a, it was a pretty good volume for that niche of the for the industry. Yeah, that's that's a, a fairly sizable revenue target per year for when you're just focusing on decks. But that's not surprising. You guys were doing a lot of very large scale, high end projects. So it doesn't surprise me to hear a number like that for sure. Now, so you were with Architect for a while. You ended up with what I believe was your own company that you started called Peachtree, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Actually, I was with Architect for 19 years. And then I left wow. there in 2007 and started Peachtree Decks and Porches. And I had a, a whole different uh, building philosophy in, in the Southeast. Uh, you know, most projects that are built down here were out of pressure treated pine. So any porch or deck you had was kind of that raw wood stain uh, type of finish. And I really wanted to take a different approach. One, I did not want to build with pressure treated, which was kind of unheard of in the Southeastern market. And I really wanted to focus on the higher end and take the approach that you would take if you're working on the front of any house. You know, if you're doing something in the front, it's got to look like it belongs architecturally. It's got to blend. And I really wanted to take that approach and take it to the back of the house and then combine products that I really believe would perform that would really reflect well on me. And uh, that's kind of the, you know, the, the, the image I wanted to create, the reputation I wanted to create in a market and then leverage off that in a way that would allow me to, to charge a premium and focus on the higher end market, which was maybe not that it wasn't competitive, but maybe less competitive than the simple projects that pretty much anybody could do. Right. So you mentioned you wanted to get away from using kind of the simple pressure treated products and use things that were going to last. What Do you mind mentioning to, what the, to us what those products were, what brands of decking you were using, or, or at least types? Well, when I started Peachtree, I decided no pressure, more pressure-treated decks and no more projects out of the older generation composite decking products. I just had no confidence in them anymore, had had experiences with them in the past. So I used what would have been the early line of uh, ProCell and Brazilian hardwoods. That was pretty much what our offerings were up until the point that the Capstock decking showed up, which was probably, I don't know if it was two, probably around 2009, maybe late 2008. And then we kind of jumped on those, jumped away from the the, the PVC line and started going with more of the Capstock products, you know, two or three different manufacturers over the course of time that we were using. Was there something you liked or preferred about the Capstock products versus the PVC products? Well, the, the Capstock products when they first came out and, and even today just had a more uh, realistic, more natural looking finish than the PVC line of uh PVC line of decking that we were using at the time, which if you remember the ProCell line, which became the AZEC decking, it was, you know, just a kind of a pastel type of coloring, whereas the cap stocks that came out uh, had that more of a realistic wood finish that would uh, resist color fade, uh, more scratch resistant, just a much better performer than the old generation product. And we just kind of liked the way that the uh, the composite core products uh, walked it kind of comes down to a matter of preferences uh, there was pvc lines that came out with more of the realistic finish obviously after that as well but once those came onto the market uh the pvc went away and and then the hardwoods just kind of slowly went away 
Yeah, they've both evolved quite drastically over the last 10 or 15 years to the point where they're they're almost indistinguishable to the to the to the person who doesn't know them inside and out, doesn't know to look what's inside them. The the look of them has have both become very realistic and beautiful. So they uh, they share a lot of the same benefits nowadays. Now you said in 2014 you decided to sell Peachtree. What was behind that decision? Talk us through that a little bit. Well, when I started Peachtree, I kind of had some goals that I wanted to reach. I wanted to see if my business plan and business model would work. and uh, But I knew I didn't want to stay in the building side of it forever. And so I really was targeting more of the 2016 time period to try to get the company ready to sell and look at you know what the options might be in that regard. But I ended up crossing paths with someone in 2014 that just through a conversation just ended up, became, it became a discussion about, uh, selling the company and he was this this individual was interested in moving to Atlanta and getting into the market and uh, so as a result of that conversation I ended up offering to sell the company he accepted uh, and then I transitioned out over again you know a year to 18 months uh, but so it really wasn't I, I wasn't intending to sell at that time period it just kind of worked out that way right and at that time was it hard for you to kind of let go of something that you had built this is a successful business that you'd put a lot of your heart into. Was it hard to let that go? Well, it's funny you say that. It kind of was. I mean, it's kind of like you've, 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 you know, you've, you've built this and you've, you've, you've created this brand and this reputation and this image in a market. And you, you just hope that when you hand it off, that you're handing it off to someone that will really take care of it. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was, uh, uh, maybe a little harder than I thought. And it's it, at the same time, I, I wanted to be away from it. Although I had been in this business for a long time, you kind of wear down after a while dealing with the day-to-day activities that comes with operating a business at the level we were doing it and dealing with the customers, you know, over a 30 year period, it kind of wears you out a little bit. So, so I don't regret it. Uh, I don't really miss anything other than maybe the, uh, the creativity side where I'm actually, you know, designing and delivering projects some of those parts I miss, but other than that, I, I really don't. Yeah, I think a lot of guys can probably relate to what you just said in the fact, you know, on a variety of levels, the the level of effort, the the wear and tear in your body over time, but especially the letting go part, because for a lot of guys, this is their passion that they've turned into a business. It was a passion first. They're very, you know, they've poured their heart and soul into it for years and years and years. And it's and and a lot of guys have a hard enough time letting go of specific tasks on the job site, let alone the entire business. Right. So I think a lot of guys, if it came to a point where they needed to kind of change careers or change things a little bit, would probably have some emotional attachment to what they had built over and spent, you know, a good chunk of their life building. So I think we, I think most people listening could probably understand that that would be a bit of a bit of a roller coaster of emotions to try to let that go. Yeah. And for me, Shane, I, you know, I have, I really wasn't working within the crew. I had two crew leaders, two crews. We had three to four guys on each crew. So it was a, it was a big team effort and I had a lot of talent in the field. So, you know, my designs and my, uh, you know, projects that we were producing was, it was really a team effort. So even though I wasn't hands-on, it was still, you know, it was kind of your, your baby, so to speak. For sure. So I guess, just to kind of travel down this a little bit more, how was there a point where you kind of decided to get off the tools and let somebody else kind of take over? And how did that work for you? I know that's a struggle that a lot of guys have is that they're they're passionate, they're very you know kind of OCD about how their projects are going, so they have a hard time letting go and letting somebody else kind of take the lead. How did you find those people, and and what was that like for you? Well, my situation was a little different, but you're, you're right. A lot of uh, contractors, and I used to think this same way, is that if my hands wasn't uh, 
you know, weren't on it, then, then it really couldn't be what I wanted it to be that my, my uh, vision couldn't be delivered unless I was physically a part of that myself. And what I learned is that you really, it, it doesn't have to be that way that you can deliver your visions through a crew. Uh, and for most contractors, if they can ever unplug themselves to a point that they can work more on their business st- instead of within the crew, they're, they're going to give themselves more potential for, for growth. But in my case, it really was a matter of being with a company that was growing and because I had started out as the first crew and the company grew, there needed to be some construction management within the office. You know, I just I just came out of the field into the office to do that. So it was a little different. So I really haven't worked in the field since 1991. Wow. If anybody wants to scale their business beyond a certain level, they're going to have to let go a little bit, right? And focus on the business and the business building. You can't you know, there's going to be a, there's going to be a ceiling on how much work you can physically do with your own hands in a given year. So if anybody has the, the dream of building or scaling their business to the level that you did, you have to come to peace with that, find the right people to kind of take over the, the day-to-day tools aspect and, and somebody needs to grow the business. And, and that's got to be the owner for the most part, because nobody's going to care about it as much as you do about your own business. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, there's, you know, there's the the building side and the and you know the physical carpenter delivery side, which in a way to me is the easier part. I don't I don't make light of it because you know quality, uh, craftsmanship, and so on should be kind of the core of any business. But there's the business side, and sometimes I think contractors that focus too much on just that look, I have the ability to build and I can do this. I'm going to be in business for myself. If they don't look at it like there's a there's there's several spokes in the wheel, and if you don't have all those spokes in place, it's going to be a rough ride. So you have to you have to pull yourself out of the business, or not the business, but the the crew and the physical delivery every day to a point that allows you to work on your business. And the more you can do that, the better balance you're going to have, probably more opportunity for profitability, and you just won't wear yourself out. It just there's not much potential for growth beyond a point uh, when you when you keep yourself every day you know, within a crew. Yeah. Very good. Very good advice. Now for a lot of people that are familiar with the industry and have spent some time looking at, you know, kind of finding inspiration out there, you had a style that a lot of people could probably identify just by looking at it. I know myself personally, if I come across some pictures on the internet or something and I see some, there's oftentimes that I can be like, that's a Bobby Parks job right there. You can just tell. It involved usually a lot of kind of the white, and this is kind of a, maybe a foreshadowing into our conversation later with what you're doing nowadays, but a lot of white uh, trim work and moldings and whatnot, kind of bringing some of that interior style, the wainscoting, the trims, you know, bringing that outside. How did that end up being your style? I feel like, and I don't know if this is fair to give you all the credit for this, but I feel like you were probably one of the first that really started to, to bring that to the mainstream outside. How did that happen? Well, for, you know, I think a lot of us just like to build what we like, or at least we like to present and, and try to promote what we like. And coming out of a, a home building uh, environment, uh, I just liked uh, certain types of trim. And I, I realized that I liked using PVC trim because it was something that would perform. And honestly, a lot of the white you see is if you is a, a, an effort to match the trim colors of the houses we were on. It just seemed for whatever reason that a lot of the jobs we would do uh, their fascia, their soffit, their freeze boards, corner boards would be white. And so those were things that we would try to match up. It just kind of worked out, at least on the homes we were working, that that was the color. But from a, a trim standpoint, I like the idea of a lot of intricate trim, uh, things that really brought kind of a wow factor and some attention to the back of the house uh, versus what maybe some of the simpler traditional stuff would have been. 
So, you know, that was really kind of the thought behind it. And I looked at it from a business standpoint that the easier something is to do, the more people can do it, the less you can charge. But if you can stand out in a way that you're offering something that's a little more complicated, a little more intricate, a little more detailed, and you can you can cross paths with the right customer and market to find those people, then it gives you an opportunity to charge for what you're doing because you can't, you know, you don't just blow in and out of these types of jobs. There's a, uh, it takes a certain amount of skill and talent and, uh, you know, really to deliver this. Yeah, absolutely. You, there are very intricate details. And so not everybody, well, hardly anybody, I'm sure at that time when you were, when you were doing it was doing that style. So you really kind of locked down if somebody wanted, if you, if you were showing people a design that they really liked, unfortunately for them, they didn't have many other options to go to other builders and say, can you do this? Cause nobody else was doing it at that, at that time. And to your point, it requires a lot of skill and talent. So even if somebody saw it and was like, oh, I, I willing to take that on, could they actually pull it off? So yeah, you, you really did find yourself a, a healthy niche there. Uh, and, and some people, a lot of contractors think they have to win every job. And I think you would be a very big proponent of saying, no, you don't, you need to win the one out of 20 that wants to build what you build your style, that budget level, et cetera, that level of detail. Um, not everybody's going to want to do that. So by finding that niche, you can set your own pricing for the most part, like you said. That style too, yeah. that white trim work, the moldings, whatever is timeless, right? Like you said, you stopped building in 1991. So you were using that prior to that. That was nearly 30 years ago when you stopped building, you know, building with that. No, no, I was, uh, I stopped, I wasn't working in the field in 91. Right. Uh, sorry. I had started, I had started using and doing some of these details, uh, probably in the, the early 2000s and it was kind of a small percentage of what we were offering when I was running the other company. And then when I started Peachtree, it was just going to be, you know, this is what we offer. I see. Uh, you know, and, and if you, you know, like we, we really didn't want to offer a porch and give them an option to have uh, wrap columns or not have wrap columns. If you, if Peachtree was going to build it and our signature was going to be on it, these were the details which may be considered custom by many, but had become a standard for us. And right. I can't say for sure that no one was really using PVC trim and that sort of thing when I started using it, but I wasn't aware of anybody who was doing anything like that. And I had to kind of make special arrangements early on just to, to get the product in. Right. But it was a, a way to kind of, you know, I looked at it too. Like I never looked at it. What is the trend in our market? What, you know, what's popular and what needs to do. I kind of looked at it more like what's not being done and what could we do? What, what gives us an opportunity to, to maybe separate ourselves from some of the competition that we're, we have in, in the market currently, what, what can we begin to do? So that led to, you know, a lot of the trim that you see, and we were using a lot of aluminum rail and metal panels way back in the day. I remember even back in 2000, when we built Bernie Marcus's uh, deck, he's one of the Home Depot founders that had a lot of glass and aluminum. So we were doing that kind of thing back then. And I remember crossing paths with someone and they told me, you know, well, metal, uh, balusters, aluminum balusters, metal rail panels just aren't popular. It's just not a trend in our market. I'm thinking, man, if I was in your market, I would, that would be the first thing I would start focusing <laughs> on. <laughs> I, I like that you had a certain style and level of quality that was, that you weren't willing to negotiate on to your like wrapping columns or posts, or whatever, like that was your style. If you were going to build a deck with peach tree, you were going to get that. I think some guys are, are scared to commit to that and they give the customer too many options sometimes. Um, certainly want to give them some options, but I think having your kind of trademark items that you're not willing to uh, sway from, I think gives you, a, you know, gives you something to give you a bit of a competitive advantage. It's like the end product is going to look better as a result of your decisions because you know 
the the renovation, the construction better than the homeowner even does. And so you know what's going to make the end result look better, which is just going to bring you more business in the end. So I think it's, I think guys like, for example, Mark from Infinite Decks, they have their, um, their custom posts that they use on their railing that they kind of manufacture themselves. So that sets them apart because nobody else can get that look now. That's something that you can't buy that out of a store. They've put some craftsmanship into it and developed something that's unique to them. And that's, that's a very good thing for, for a contractor. Yeah, definitely agree. Now, is there you? I don't. I can't even fathom how many projects you probably were involved in over the years. But is there one that sticks out in your mind that kind of posed the biggest challenge for you that that you still think about from time to time? Well, uh, projects, customers, that sort of thing. If you, you know, you look back, we've you know through the years probably just over forty million dollars worth of deck and porch projects. So uh, there were several that would, uh, I would say, provided maybe some unique challenges. Uh, none that were, uh, I should say that were that hard to overcome. We just took on some that were kind of large from a standpoint, like Nortel networks was about a $350,000 job in 2000. And so it was, it was pretty large. And, and the, the, I guess the challenge and the scariest part of those types of jobs for me was that if we take on this job, it's going to tie up a certain amount of our production capacity. And if we, if I, if I get the pricing wrong, it's going to be hard to recover from a margin standpoint. Right. So, you know, that would have, those types of things, making sure I got those right, were probably the biggest challenges on, and it would have all been on the, the larger jobs. The, the one job that I would say that really probably made me scratch my head and, and kind of, uh, uh, slowed us down as much as anything was just a simple little uh, kind of a overlook outhouse looking building that we built at Atlanta Botanical Gardens. And, and the reason for that was they told us they want every board crooked and uneven. And it just, man, that just did not compute. We did not know exactly how to even start. You know, we would put a board up and back up and look at it. Does that look right? Well, not really, but that's what they say they want. So, you know, that's the one job that I remember that we, uh, we looked back and kind of laughed about that was, that kind of really challenged us. I think you did an article recently about that job, didn't you? Or there's something I think I, I did write a little piece or a little blog or something on Instagram about that. Yeah. So somebody, if you're interested in seeing what that, I remember seeing that and 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 reading your piece about that. So people should go out there and and look you up and find that because it's an interesting read. Um. Now today, I believe you're still doing your current business that you own now is called BP Consulting and Design. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. And so, what does that encompass? What are you doing day to day with that? And how much of your time is spent being that business now? Well, I mean, the original business model was to uh, offer uh, consulting for contractors, uh, to be able to consult with manufacturers, and to offer national design service. That's kind of part of, you know, where I would look at, you know, where I'm going to try to create a presence and some income. But it was also about uh, having some speaking engagements. And as it turned out, uh, a majority of my time, really about a hundred and 50 days a year total would be used between the Versatex Roadshow where I'm traveling around doing some things with them and with Trex who uh, I go around and do speaking engagements uh, for business. I don't really go out there and preach product. It's really an effort uh, to uh, to share business practices, the way I operated and, and suggestions on what I would do today. So the speaking side of it and the Roadshow side have really uh, become a predominant part. The, the actual contra- uh, contractor consulting and design side has has been minimal, only because I haven't pushed it and because I haven't had a lot of time to devote to it. Right now, I, you came through our city a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago. I think you came through Regina, and I had the opportunity to attend your uh, Trex 
session there. And for anybody who has the chance or opportunity to go to Bobby's uh, uh, talks that he's doing with Trex or Versatex, I think it's a great opportunity to kind of sit in and learn from from a guy who's got a lot of a lot of valuable information to share. So if you have that opportunity in your city, make sure you check into it. For those people that are passionate about this industry who want to make a name for themselves, we touched on this a little bit by, about differentiating yourself, but do you have any more advice for those people that are maybe just starting out and they're like, they think they're passionate about decking, but they're just not sure how to build themselves or how to choose a niche, how to kind of grow their business? Do you have any additional advice for them? Well, I think, you know, if you really look back at the people that have really been successful in this industry, and I've been fortunate enough to meet a, a lot of good people, uh, you know, they realize that they, they you know, it's, it's what's inside of them. They've got to be motivated. If you appear to be like everyone else you're competing with, you're going to have to charge like everyone else. You are going to be uh, pretty considered to be the same from any potential prospects or customers. So to me, it's all about uh, separating yourself in any way that you can, realize that uh, your building philosophy, which are the types of products you're going to uh, uh, decide to deliver, the service you're going to provide has to be, uh, the better it is, the better you're going to be. And then it's about leveraging off of that to me by taking good photos, by having a website. A lot of contractors think, well, look, I'm busy. I don't need a website. Well, staying busy is kind of a low bar, I think, in this market. We should be trying to maximize profit. And the more that you can separate yourself in a market, you know, by creating this image through photos, through websites, uh, through the, the uh, you know, the way you uh, conduct yourself professionally, being creative, offering designs, not just going out and seeing what a customer wants and taking bids are all going to uh, serve to help you. And I know a, a lot of contractors I talk to will say, well, look, I stay busy. I get all my work from referrals. And, and that's great if you can really get the kind of referrals you need that allow you to charge, you know, a premium and, and build your profit. But if you look at businesses that, you know, real structured businesses, they'll tell you that probably 30% of their jobs and leads come from, uh, come from referrals. But that means uh, if you're only working off referrals, in my mind, you're only getting a fraction of the opportunities to do quotes. And the more quotes you can do, which is what a website would bring to the uh, picture, the more opportunity you have to put a, a price tag on those and, and become profitable. So there's a, there's a lot of things, you know, I think, you know, if you look also look at uh, people that I think have been, that I consider to be some of the cream of the crop, you know, they're, 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 uh, motivation didn't come from their competition. They were aware of what their competition was doing. That's just a smart business practice, but really the, you know, they competed within themselves. It was to always make themselves better. They, they kept, they were aware of what others were doing, but they were always trying to improve themselves. When you were bidding, when you, I don't know if you kind of went from a position where you transitioned to focusing more on the high end, high budget projects, but was there anything you notably did different when you were bidding a job that was say in the six figures, let's say a $200,000 job. What were the things that you did special for those jobs that you wouldn't have done for maybe a $20,000 job? Well, uh, I mean, the truth is I think the same effort went into everything and the big ones just kind of showed up because the, you know, the better reputation you have and the, and the more of a delivery history you have of those big jobs, you know, those people, the people that are looking for those types of work would just kind of seek you out. But regardless of the lead, whenever I went out, I, I would ask the customer, you know, what are you thinking you want to, how do you want, how are you want to use this? What do you think you like? I didn't ask them to design it or anything like that. So, uh, I tried to gather information, ask questions, and I didn't look at it so much as I'm going out here and, and giving them a bid or giving them an estimate. I, I looked at it as more of a, uh, an advisor and a consultant. And even if a customer said, look, I just want to put this back in the same footprint now, 
I would just to respect their wishes. I may design something like that, but then I would look at that as an opportunity to come up with something different and better. So it was a, basically to me, it was always a matter of uh, whenever I went out just to practice the basics of professionalism, to try to connect with these uh, customers, create comfort levels as best I could show that we were competent, leverage off the photos, all the things that, that it would take, uh, to have the credibility that the quality is going to be there and then try to be as creative and come up with different ideas, maybe than some of the people that I competed with. Uh, and then just, you know, kind of went through a, a simple but professional process with them that at the end of the day, they were willing to pay more because they knew I had this delivery history of, of big jobs. I could, I could show them that through those photos, through the website, it gave them this comfort level that they were willing to spend more money than maybe someone else that was competing with me that was offering at a lesser price. Right. Great advice. Now, are there things happening in the industry right now as far as trends that you really think, boy, that's something I wish I would like when I was back building, I wish I had a chance to do some of this kind of stuff. I'm not sure what if I'm, I'm not really thinking of anything specific, but I know you guys, you know, there's some trends happening right now that a lot of guys are starting to get into the hardscape game with the deck. So they're taking care of the entire backyards, of course, mm -hmm. curving decks, which is something you've, you've built curved, curved decks in your past, but that's becoming more of a thing as well outdoor kitchens, that kind of stuff. Is there, What are your favorite trends that are happening in the industry right now? Well, the ones you just named are the ones that I, I look at. I mean, you look at most every, a lot of people are doing the borders. A lot of people are doing uh, radiuses and, and bending uh, uh, deck boards. Uh, you know, we had offered the whole time I was at, and went, once I started Peachtree, kind of a certain amount of outdoor uh, living products, which would have included flagstone and uh, stamped concrete, fire pits, uh, you know, not, a, not everything. We wouldn't do water features, but we did realize that most customers, especially once you start going towards the higher end projects, want, don't want to deal with a lot of different people. They want to, they want to work with one person they feel like can coordinate and kind of oversee that particular job. So we didn't do a lot of bending. We played around with it really going back to 2000, but, uh, but no, those, I think the trends are just what you said. More, you know, as a contractor, if you can offer more of a, a wider range of products from an outdoor living standpoint, uh, you're going you're gonna to have more success most likely than just being pinned down to just a, a deck project. You know, if you can bend and curve, you're going to do better just because in some markets, not many people do that. And it's kind of a quick and easy way to separate yourself from some people you compete with. So I think, you know, the, the different colored inlays, all the things to do, and I think adds a lot of look. Uh, it's kind of inspiring to see. I think, you know, places like Instagram for me has been good because it just shows me there's a lot of young people that are that are uh, participating. And I think it even serves in a way to inspire others to get into the industry because they see this looks like fun. These people are proud of this. This is really to a large extent artwork. Uh, so I think, you know, it's good for the industry in that regard. Yeah. You are, we mentioned before that you are now in somewhat of a formal relationship now with Trex and Versatex kind of on the road, uh, representing those brands. How did that come to be? I know you mentioned earlier that, it, that that's kind of what you do now with BP consulting, but how do those relationships form? And are there any other brands that you're currently doing something like that with? Yeah. Well, I've had a relationship with uh, Trex and Versatex for quite some time. And, uh, really I just had this idea in my mind that, you know, in a lot of the, the, a lot of, contractors you'll see like at remodeling show and deck expo these are contractors that want to improve their game they want to find out what the latest and greatest is and they want to learn to go to these conference uh sessions and and learn better business practices and i just felt like there's 99 percent of the contractors stay at home they do not come to these shows so you, you know when and, and oftentimes you really don't know what you don't know and 
what I wanted to do. And I was looking for a way to, to, to find something that I felt like I could contribute in the industry was to, to be able to go out in, in these contractors' backyards and share some good business practices, simple as they are, and some suggestions and kind of educate them on and, and provide maybe some, some tweaks that might, that they might benefit from, uh, benefit from, from a business standpoint. And Trex understood that and Trex uh, really uh, takes seriously their contractor development program. So they're trying to look at ways to help their contractors be better and not just, you know, discuss and provide product all the time. And Versatex was the same way. So, uh, you know, and, and as far as matching up with Trex, you know, I, I knew the people behind the scenes. It's an impressive group of people, uh, for, you know, from the top all the way down. If you look at their, even their, you know, their, their, the, all their reps, they just, they're all professionals. They're all knowledgeable. They're all a first class group and they're leaders in the industry. So that's who I wanted to be matched up with. And with Versatex, it was kind of the same way. Uh, in fact, uh, Rick Capers there, you know, early on, you know, saw that there was some opportunity there that we could do to do just what I wanted to do. So we had some discussions and that led to doing some of the speaking events, but it also ended up leading to the road show. And I love working with Versatex. I mean, I, I feel I, they make me feel like I'm, I'm absolutely part of the family. I enjoy all the outings with them. I, I know that, you know, the people behind the scenes there, uh, the founder and his, his participation and the drive that makes that company, you know, truly, you know, the best and, uh, in, in their arena, as far as the products go. So it you took a while. Have... I, I will, I will say this, Shane, it took a, yeah. it took a while to, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it took a while to, to get this to happen because it was something a little different, a little, little new. It was kind of hard to know exactly what the return on the investment was going to be over time. But the effort was again to where we go to, to help, you know, better business practices and create some loyalty to the brand to the extent that you can do that. Was it, your plan to kind of align with some companies like this and get on the road and go do speaking and whatnot as part of BP consulting or, or did these kind of come out of the woodwork and find you? No, it really was my plan. It was to try to figure out who I can match up with, who I'm comfortable working with, whose products and, and people I believe in that I would put my reputation on the line with and that could see, you know, the vision I have and what I'm trying to do and what I think there's a need for. So it was always part of the plan. You know, if I was just, it started just, especially from the start, just trying to line these things up and do them on my own. It would have been a real difficult thing to, to line up the type of, you know, of events that we're doing now. So it, it was always part of the plan. I just didn't you know if it have, would work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, it seems to be going well for you. <laughs> I was going to say you must have a large Marriott's rewards points or whichever hotel chain <laughs> that you're with. You must have a pretty sizable loyalty rewards program because you're on the road a lot, right? How many days a year are you out traveling with, yeah, these, with, uh, with these companies? Seems Well, yeah, you're right. I did. I have just under 1.3 million Hilton Honors points before I started spending <laughs> some of them on Amazon, which is not a good way to use your points, by the way. But uh, norm, I think in 2017, I know I was in over 130 cities, 29 states, and had 151 hotel stays. And plus, I was up your way up in Canada. And then last year, I don't think I hit quite as many cities, but I still had the same amount of uh, of hotel stays. So I do spend about half my year in a, a Hampton Inn or some kind of Hilton Garden Inn or something along those lines. But but I like it. And I tell you why I really do. I mean, I, I like feeling like I'm doing something that is contributing to the industry. I love being able to meet and engage people from big city America to really very rural areas. Uh, and I find no matter where I go, uh, people are just just they're just good people everywhere 
and and I'm usually pretty well received. Some of them think I talk funny, and in some places I'm thinking, well, you, you don't really have a lot of room to talk. But it's uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's been a great experience for me, and I, I really imagine appreciate you get that it. that response when you come to Canada quite a bit because <laughs> I know you've got a fairly southern accent, but also across Canada, there's a lot of different accents from you know obviously Quebec would have accents, but Ontario has their way of you know their certain dialects and whatnot and you come out west where we are and of course we have our own way of speaking so everybody's got a little bit of a a thing they they speak with right yeah i would tell you shane i love the canadians i, I you know i spent time with you up in you know regina and then in calgary and then i was up around i mean just because i don't remember the towns let's say toronto and and uh ottawa i think it was but the people there are just so friendly i told uh, when I was up at one doing one session, I said, man, y'all are like one, one step above Southern hospitality, just, uh, great people, just very engaging. Yeah. That's what Canada or Canadians kind of have a reputation for is, is, uh, being friendly and polite. Right. So it's good to hear that that's actually mm, being that lived out. True. Now I had posted on Instagram a, and you're kind of, you're not a rookie to Instagram, but you were kind of a, you just kind of got on there about a year or two ago, maybe. And so, yeah, that's that's correct. Yeah. And you started posting some projects and of course, right away, people were kind of flocking to you because the stuff you've built isn't, is incredible. Um, and then you had some trouble, I think with an account at one point it got hacked or, or something, some technical glitch. Yeah, in December, there, think, right? in December it was it got hacked and I was unable to resolve it, so it just ended up it was taken down and I started over. I think it was in the middle of December, so that was kind of disheartening. It takes a while to to build your following up and just kind of hard to start from scratch. But it's it's coming back fairly well. Yeah, good. What is your Instagram handle for those who want to follow you? Bobby Parks zero zero seven. It's not that I'm a, any kind of secret agent or anything like that. It's just <laughs> that I started out with, I think I had to add something to my name. Oh seven originally was cause that's when I started uh Peachtree, but then just because I had to restart it, I just added the zero. So Bobby Parks zero zero seven. Sure. So that's a easy one to remember and follow. Now I had posted a story on Instagram, uh, looking for a couple of questions from people that they may want to ask you. Uh, I didn't say that you were going to be on the podcast, but I'm sure people have put two and two together, but I'm going to read you those questions now. There's only a couple. They're not hard. Okay, <laughs> so, good. <laughs> the first question was, when are you coming back to Greensboro, North, North Carolina? Well, I live in Winston-Salem, so I'm not far away from Greensboro, but I'm not really sure what exactly what the uh, locations will be for the roadshow. I know it starts in April, April 17th. We usually start North Carolina and work around to the, uh, South Carolina and, uh, Georgia coast, and then down into Florida. But I will, uh, I will post as soon as I know if we're going to be in Greensboro for any reason. There you go. So that question was from Bella. I'm not sure how you say it. Bella land renovations. So, uh, watch Bobby's account. He'll post if he's ever back there. Wade Laurent, who is actually my business partner, but he was away on holidays. He didn't know I was actually doing this podcast with you. I didn't, uh, I didn't break the great news to him that we had kind of landed you for a mm-hmm for one of the shows, but he, his question was actually earlier. I had asked it and it was, what was the hardest job you worked on uh, and customers? So you kind of answered that one already. So we'll let that one go, but just to give him a shout out, but he did get a question in there. Knight Carpentry asked, how do you maintain that flow? (laughs) I believe he's referring to your hair. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) well, you know, I don't know. As long as I can remember, I just, you know, in my younger days, I guess I was just somewhat rebellious and my hair was a lot longer than it, than it is now. But <laughs> I just, uh, you know, whatever you got, you kind of have to use. I didn't mind being different. I mean, in some ways 
earlier days, especially having a ponytail, that sort of thing, probably created additional challenges depending on how some people perceived you that sure. uh, probably could have done without, but I always seem to to like to have that extra challenge. So uh, I try Excellent. to keep it managed and not too far out of control and presentable, but it is what it is. You're missing out on a perfect potential sponsorship here with, uh, you know, Pert Plus or something. <laughs> calling with some brands and <laughs> yeah, see if you can get some hair care maybe, I, maybe I need to work on that side. <laughs> there you go. But you know, if you're a little different in some ways, not that I'm saying this is the way to try to be, separate yourself and be different, people can, you kind of stand out a little bit good or bad, you know? You know what? It, 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 that's, that's absolutely true when, you know, it, it's kind of a, a thing in, in personal branding and somebody's trying to personally brand themselves. You know, it's recommended to also have something that makes you stand out, whether it's, you know, some guys wear sunglasses all the time or they wear their hat a certain way or they cut their hair a certain way or whatever. Just something to make you more memorable than the million other people out there that are trying to be a personal brand and whatever, right? So uh, you're you're known for your hairstyle and so that works for you for sure. <laughs> now, the last question was from Donegan Decking and he's from Australia. So he asked, when are you finally coming down under? You know, I would love to visit him. I'd love to visit Australia. Uh and New Zealand. I'd love to go to all those places. I've got some friends over there. Uh, so I just got to find, uh, maybe I got to talk to Trex or Versatex and see if they, they don't think they need to send me on a mission over there. But I, the answer is I don't know, but I would love the opportunity. There you go. So Bruce Dunnigan Decking, if you have a bed and you want to pay for Bobby's flight, it sounds like he would be <laughs> interested in coming. <laughs> yeah. Now, what does the future look like for Bobby Parks? Bobby, this has been great kind of talking through your past and how you got to where you are and kind of what you're doing now. But what are the ambitions and goals that lie ahead for you? Well, you know, I do try to look two or three years ahead, try to plan ahead and see, you know, uh, where I can be and, and how it can work. My hope is that I'll continue to do uh, some of the things I'm doing now, the, the speaking side and the uh, roadshow. I know the roadshow will go on for quite a while. There's, I uh, don't know, you know, when that would end, but you know, my understanding is we're going to continue to do this for some time to come. Uh, and I, I hope to be able to do more contractor, uh, consulting, you know, I have, uh, some programs in place for that where I feel like I can do some coaching and help, uh, some contractors, regardless of what stage or phase or profile they may be from a contractor standpoint, I feel like I've got some things that may be beneficial there. And I really want to open up more on the national design side too, where I'm providing designs and consultations to, to homeowners, regardless of where their locations are, uh, that may give them a good design to present to a contractor in their market uh, and that they can move forward with the project. This week is the International Builder Show in Las Vegas. You will be there. Uh, this podcast will get posted uh, just at the start of the week. So people that are listening to this may have a chance to meet up with you. Are you going to be kind of stationed somewhere at the show that people can find you? Yeah, I'll be working in the Trex booth uh, all three days of the IBS show. So. Would love to meet anybody that would come by. And to me, these shows have become somewhat of a reunion anyway, and that I get to see and meet a lot of, see a lot of the friends that I've made through the years and, and, and meet new people all the time. So it's a, it's really a fun time for me. So I would love to, anybody that can come by the Trex booth, please come and see me. That should be easy enough to find. Trex always has a fantastic display, big display at these shows. So it should be easy enough to find. Now, I didn't brief you on this question. So this is a little bit off the cuff here, but now that you're on Instagram, uh, who, are there some, let's say maybe five, let's say three to five accounts that you're following that you think these guys are really, they're doing it the way I would have done it. If I was still building, they're putting out some great product, great quality. They're marketing themselves correctly. Is there somebody that kind of comes to mind or a few guys that come to mind? 
Well, I've got so many friends out there. I hate to not mention and not mention anybody, <laughs> but, uh, but there's, there's, there's so many good ones, but if you look at people, I mean, uh, you know, Jason Varney, he's doing all the, uh, the boat houses and, and Jason Russell or Dr. Dex and, uh, you know, market infinite decks. And, uh, there's some of the New Jersey guys that, I mean, there's, there's actually builders, uh, once you start looking into this, uh, all over the, the country that, uh, do some amazing things. There's even one company that nobody probably even in the deck industry knows that much about because I'm not sure how involved they are. And it's just called mom and pops outdoor living. And it's, uh, they create a lot of, you know, massive, wonderful types of, uh, deck hardscape porch combination type of projects. So there's, there's really, it's, it's kind of endless. It is. Yeah. We talk about this a lot that the Instagram community is growing, but that the majority of these fantastic contractors aren't on there still, right? Like we see guys that are putting out the level of craftsmanship and quality, like the guys you just mentioned. And for every one of those that you see on Instagram, there's 10 more out there that haven't found their way to social media yet. So if you do a little digging, there's a lot of amazing stuff being built out there now and people are willing to spend the money in their backyards now. So it's just kind of fostering that even more. So yeah, it's, sure. it's quite awesome. I love these shows, the IBS, the deck expo shows um, put on by NADRA. Uh, these little events that kind of bring these people together and kind of foster that community, I think are, are unbelievable. It's probably the main reason why we attend these shows, to be honest, there is some benefit there from finding new products or, you know, that kind of stuff too. But the, you know, the, the getting together with guys like yourself or the, the guy, the same kind of network of people that show up at these shows all the time. It's that chance to kind of get together, have some camaraderie, share some stories, share some laughs, share some ideas and tips and tricks is just something you can't get by staying at home. Right. No, yeah. You're, you're absolutely right. And then look, just to, to back up, there was, there's one other company that I, I actually do think is one of the best out, out there. And that would be deck South just because they do a lot of the types of jobs uh, that I used to do. And I think they've even taken it to another level. And, and from a scale standpoint, they just do some, amazing jobs that go beyond just you know any kind of deck building gets into real serious structural stuff so i couldn't agree with you more i was going to mention them when you were kind of going through your list there and part of that reason was because they so i didn't know about them prior to a couple years ago i actually uh, a couple years ago when i was still building decided to enter some uh, project into the nadra deck awards and i was lucky enough to win a couple of awards at that show and i remember being at that show and as the screen has all this kind of entries scrolling through all the projects that people have entered, this one kept coming up and I kept seeing it. And I said to Wade, I was like, holy smokes, did you see mm-hmm. that one job up there? Like, who the hell is that? Like, who built that thing? I've not seen that project before. And it turns out it was, it was Deck South. Yeah. And then I kind of, once I found out who it was, looked, at, looked it up a little bit and saw their other projects. And I'm like, this is unbelievable. And you couldn't have a more modest and genuine person that's running that company too. Right. So it's just a, you know, it's, it's, it's like yourself, Bobby, somebody who is very genuine, willing to talk to anybody, super modest, but is putting out this incredible art. Yeah. And, John, Lee's, uh, John Lee's a great guy. And, uh, he, you know, he's kind of homegrown competition. So we've known each other for the longest time, became really good friends over the last few years. So it's, uh, always proud to see what they, what he's doing and what his company's doing. Absolutely. But, yeah. They're, they're a good one. So, uh, Bobby, I think we've come to the end of what I had here for questions. I don't know if there's anything that you want to add for the people listening out there. No, I really do uh, appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. I would, uh, would just invite anybody that can whenever we're doing uh, the road show or I'm out speaking in some events with Trex. Uh, 
you know, please try to find some time to come by. I think you'd find uh, the presentation I'm doing now, which is used to be creating separation, but it's a little different now, positioning for success. And I think it provides some opportunities there that gives you some some ideas on how you might can grow your business in spite of the current labor shortage that there are other ways that maybe that you can be more profitable and do things uh, uh, without really adding people to the uh, to the crew or to the head count. So uh, would love to to see anybody that can find a time to come join us. Yeah, I think that is that would be great if some if he if Bobby's in your area doing these chats, like I said, take the take the couple hours out of your day, go sit in on it, uh, meet one of the legends of the industry, super genuine man and uh, learn a lot while you're doing it as well. So if you guys are interested in following along with what Bobby's doing out there nowadays or seeing some of his past projects that are absolutely awe-inspiring, follow him on Instagram, bobbyparks007. If you have any questions for us or feedback for the show, potential ideas, or if you want to be a guest on the show, shoot us a message through Instagram, DM either the Ultimate Deck Shop or the Shane Chapman, and we'll get that lined up. Until next week, everyone take care.